I watched the clock. All right, kingdom relationships. Today we're continuing in Matthew chapter 7, verses 6 through 12. And uh, just a uh, con- confession to the beginning, I'm, I'm really going to not spend a lot of time on verse 12. Um, and I will bring it up in the passage. It's the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? And I think we try to emphasize that here in, in this church about loving as we've been called to love, but I will incorporate it in uh, the message this morning. So ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. How's your prayer life been lately? It's been good. How many of you feel like your prayer life increases when the fire gets hotter? Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's unfortunate. That's the way we're wired. But when times are easy, when things are running smoothly, we don't quite pray as much. We think we can accomplish everything we need to accomplish in our own power. So this morning we're going to see that God commands us to ask, that we are desperate in our condition and so we need to seek after God. And then when we knock, guess what? God is going to provide in ways that we cannot even imagine And so let's look at this text together and learn that your Heavenly Father is ready and willing to answer in love, so ask, seek, and knock. Nobody loves you like your Heavenly Father loves you, so talk to Him. Tell Him what you need, and His wisdom is beyond what you can fathom, and He's going to answer according to that great wisdom, and certainly He has the power to answer. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. You know, it's funny, I I left, 12 is in here, but the very very beginning we'll look at 7 through 11, and then we'll catch 12 in the middle. Ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which one of you If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, though you're evil, how much more will your Father in heaven give give, give good gifts to those who ask him? Think about you as a father, if you're a father, or just as a person who wants to give gifts to people, and you think through gifts that you give. And you and your mind are giving a good gift, yet you are overwhelmed with sin sometimes. And sometimes in your giving, it's mixed in with sin. How much more will your heavenly Father, who was perfect, perfect in love, perfect in wisdom, perfect in power, how much more will He not give good gifts to those who ask Him? So the first point here is that we ask because He commands us to ask, right? So there's different ways of of God telling us or Jesus telling us to pray. Ask, seek, knock, okay? And each one of those is is given what we call a present present imperative, right? It's happening now. It's imperative. It's a command. So be asking. Be seeking. Be knocking. And so the overwhelming tenor of this is, you need to do it. Pray. Don't talk about prayer. 
Do it. Pray. Ask God. So the question I have for you is why don't you pray more often? When you think of some of the outstanding characters in the Bible, when I think of prayer, I often think of Daniel, right? Three times a day he would pray. And that doesn't seem like a lot. Our neighbors around us ostensibly are committed to prayer five times a day. How much that actually happens, I, I don't really know. But it really, I guess in this community, it's to our shame that we don't pray more than we do, given what our neighbors have committed themselves to in traveling to the mosque five times a day. So why is it that we don't pray more often? Is it, is it that you're undisciplined, right? Are you, are you just kind of too lazy? Like you just, oh, I still feel like it, you know. It, it's work. I'll tell you, as a pastor, of all the work that I do, Consistent prayer is the hardest work that I do. So are you too lazy to pray? Maybe you, maybe you lack faith. Is God really going to answer my prayer? I mean, it just doesn't seem like it makes a difference when I pray. Like I pray and I ask for things and I read what Scripture says about prayer and if you ask it my name and, and, and I'm praying to God, He's, he's a good Father, I, you know I mean, I'm asking for good things. It just doesn't seem to make a difference. Oswald Chambers, very spiritual man, lots of devotionalists, says, our Lord never referred to unanswered prayer. It's accurate. Jesus never talks about unanswered prayer. He did teach, however, that prayers are always answered. He never implied that prayers were answered to our liking. Rather, according to the Heavenly Father's wisdom. I think Tim Keller probably nails it a little bit better. He says, God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that He knows. See, we don't know everything that God knows. We do not have the mind of God. God, in His, in His knowledge, understands every single fact intuitively, instantly, uh, uh, comprehensively, he knows all facts, past, present, and future. He knows the outcome of everything. He's ordained it. And when we ask, we're asking with very little knowledge of what God's trying to do. So the fact that God says no to a vast majority of our prayers shouldn't come as a surprise. I mean, think about it, if you had an infant child that could speak and came up at, making requests all day long, and you're like, no. Can I go outside? No. It's cold outside. It's freezing outside. Dad, can I play with that knife? No. Can I do? No. no. You're saying no all the time because you know what's best. You know the outcome of what would happen if you let that child do that or if you give the child what they're asking for. So do you lack faith in God? Maybe there's sin. If you're living with unconfessed sin in your life, chances are you're not praying very often because when we pray and we come to God, we are laid bare in the eyes of God. God sees through everything. And when we come in prayer, 
If you know anything about the Bible, you know that, and, and so you're not going to pray, right? And, Jesus, and, and the psalmist says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, Lord, you would not have listened. Maybe there's just apathy, right? Why pray? Because God's going to do what God's going to do anyway, right? Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. You're a hardcore Calvinist. God's going to do what he's going to do, so why does it make a difference as I pray? Well, we don't want to fall prey to fatalism, as Calvin does in this Calvin and Hobbes strip. I've decided to be a fatalist. All events are promised and unalterable. Whatever will be, will be. That way, if anything bad happens, it's not my fault. It's fate. I will admit to you, okay, I believe fully in the sovereignty of God, that sometimes I fall and pray to God, you're going to do what you're going to do. I say that to God, God, you're going to do what you're going to do. The fact is, is God has ordained the ends and the means. God has ordained what's going to happen, but he's also ordained us as people who have a will to think and make decisions that we would pray, and that amazingly, God works through that prayer to accomplish his end. We are a part of that. Apathy. Maybe. I'm too busy, right? I, I get up and let me, look, I've got to sleep, right? And the alarm goes off. And as soon as the alarm goes off, I hear my child crying. And then I barely have time to get my coffee. And I've got to get them ready. And I've got all this stuff going on. And by the time everything's done, it's the end of the day. And I just, I'm just too busy to pray. John Piper nails it. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time right? Oh, we make time for those things that are important, don't we? So, it's imperative. We ask because we are commanded to ask. It's not a helpful suggestion. Hey, this might be a good idea for you as you live in a sin-cursed world, as you try to, 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 to obey Christ. It might be helpful. You might want to kind of bring that into your, your daily routine if, if you want to pray. No, it's ask. Seek, knock. Martin Luther says to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. It's inherent in who we are as children of God. What child doesn't speak to their parents? Prayerlessness or prayerless people cut themselves off from God's prevailing power. This goes to the issue of faith. Do you believe that God is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him? And the frequent result is the familiar feeling of being what? Overwhelmed, overrun, beaten down, pushed around, defeated. I just can't do it. I can't. I'm just overwhelmed. I can't do it. Are you praying? Have you prayed? A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. We have prayer at our disposal. Pray, it's the command. Ask, seek, knock. And we need to seek because we're desperate, right? We're desperate. We see this in the text twice, right? He gives kind of, uh, it's, it's parallelism he's using. Ask, and it will be given to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Seek, and you will find. For the one who seeks, finds. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And the one who knocks, 
to the one who knocks, the door will be open, right? So we have this parallelism that's going on here. And he's just heightening it, right? You're, you're asking, but now you're seeking. You're trying to find out. You're trying to perhaps find the one who will answer. As we look at the context of Matthew, and again, context is king. So we don't want to divorce what we're reading here from the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we are. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not trying to say, hey, you know what, if you live out these principles, then you'll be saved and you'll get into the kingdom. But you better leave these out or you won't get into the kingdom. No, he's saying, those of you who are born again through the, re- the new birth, through faith in Jesus Christ, those who are born again are in the kingdom. And those who are in the kingdom live a certain way. And so really, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're learning what it means to follow Christ. And Jesus lays out salvation very clearly, right? Matthew's bringing us to this point in Matthew chapter 16 where he asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He says, you know what? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Simon Bar-Jonah. The Spirit revealed that to you. And then he goes on to lay out salvation. He doesn't say, pray this prayer sign this card. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to learn from me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever, wants to, whoever loses their life for me will find it. And then he says, hey, don't be foolish. He says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Oh, people are seeking the world. They're seeking their own good. They're seeking security in the things of this world. And Jesus says, why would you do that and forfeit your soul? What can a person give in exchange for their soul? And then he says, for the Son of Man, he's going to come with his Father, in his Father's glory with the angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. This sounds like a works-based gospel, but it's not. It's the outcome of your faith. It says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, learn, be my disciple. I'm going to teach you what it means to follow me. And you're going to learn that faith without works is dead. A living faith works. A living faith obeys my teachings. Seek me. Follow me. Well, what does it look like to follow Christ? What does it look like? Well, again, context is king. As you read your Bibles on your own, remember, context is king. Context of the passage, where it is in the text, what surrounds that passage you're looking at, where the author is going, is telling you what is being meant here. And so Jesus is saying, look, you need to ask and you need to seek the Father in heaven if you want to follow Christ in such a way that it demonstrates that you have a saving faith. Christ isn't just a, a, a ticket out of hell into heaven. That's not who Christ is. He is your Lord and your Savior, and as Lord, He determines the path of your life. And as, as your Lord, He's teaching you. This is what it means to follow me, right? And so we've seen this in the Sermon on the Mount already, right? As we go through the Beatitudes, right? If you're going to follow Christ, 
You need to be poor in spirit. You need to walk humbly. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to be on the narrow road. We're going to see that soon. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to mourn over your sin. Recognize how simple you are. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to be meek. You need to always prefer others. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to hunger and thirst for righteousness and desire obedience at all times. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to be merciful because your Father in heaven has shown you so much mercy. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to be pure in heart. You need to seek holiness. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to be a peacemaker. You need to be to bring the peace of heaven into a hostile world. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to rejoice when you suffer, and you need to bless those who are causing you to suffer. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to be salt and light. If you're going to follow Christ, he says, don't lust. If you're going to follow Christ, he says, don't be a hater. Don't murder people. If you're going to follow Christ, he says, do not retaliate. If you're going to follow Christ, he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You see how high Jesus sets the standard for following him? See how high that is? And so we have the golden rule, which really encapsulates all of that, right? Verse 12 of chapter 7. So in everything you do, in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you, because this sums up the law and the prophets. It sounds like, hey, anybody who loves, if you truly love, then you fulfill the law and the prophets. Paul tells us that. So really, chapter 7, verse 12, encapsulates all of the Sermon on the Mount. This is what it means to follow Christ in everything. In everything. Love others as you have already loved yourself. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Follow Christ. We're going to sing a song at the end. I'll have his Christ. Lord, I would be yours alone so that all might see. Right? To follow your commands could never come from me. Right? Can't do it. You can't do it on your own. You cannot in any way fulfill all those commands that Christ has given us in the Sermon on the Mount. You can't in any way do it, right? So if you're like me, you're like, you're holding your flags up. I, I can't do it. I give, uncle. And Christ wants us to see that we can't do it on our own. It's impossible, right? You can't. So the Sermon on the Mount is not a prescription for salvation. The Sermon on the Mount is a description of those who have been saved, those who are trying to follow Christ. And Christ is telling you, you can't do it. In fact, your righteousness better exceed that of the Pharisees. And you can't do that. So you better ask God. Ask Him and seek Him because you can't do it on your own. Ask. Seek. He says, knock. We knock because we believe his promises to provide. Jesus is telling us to ask. None of that, I want you to seek. And you're going to be so bold as to knock on heaven's door. And we are invited into, invited into that, to knock on heaven's door, right? So in the text, ask and will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. The one who knocks, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
And the one who's behind the door wants to give. He is ready and willing to give. He is a loving Heavenly Father who, before you even knock, right, up in Matthew chapter 6, before a word comes out of your mouth. And that's another reason why people don't pray, right? Well, God knows I'm going to ask anyway. Jesus says that. Before you even ask, your Father knows. So, so why do I need, you even need to pray? Well, Jesus is trying to say, this is how well your Father knows you and how prepared He is to answer the request that you have for Him. So Jesus kind of launches into this kind of almost ridiculous description of a father. What father, okay, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Answer, duh. Nobody. And if a father did that, really, that's not good. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a steak. You know, the mean father would that be? I hate snakes. I wouldn't touch one to give to my kids. So he says in verse 11, if you then, though you are evil, he's saying that's, that's the inherent humanity because of sin, right? We, 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 we're evil. That's our proclivity. That's our bent because of sin, right? As we come to Christ, we receive a new nature, but we still struggle with this sin nature. And even though we struggle with this sin nature, we're not going to give bad gifts to our children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Well, you might say, you might be thinking, well, you know what, I do pray, do ask, but I rarely get what I ask for. I've kind of touched on this, but let's tease this out a little bit more. Do you ever feel that way? You pray, you just don't get what you ask for? Be honest. You better be shaking your head up and down like this. So the question really is, is what are you seeking after and what are you asking for, right? So in the context that we're given, Jesus is telling us what it looks like to live in the kingdom. What does it look like to live as a citizen of the kingdom? And the bar is so high, and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, right, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the bar is set so high, so, so what are we be praying about here? Now again, in the Lord's prayer, or the disciples' prayer, or the pattern for prayer, one of the six, if you look, break it up into six prayer components, is give us this day our daily bread. Friends, God cares about whether you have clothes on your back or food to eat or a job. He cares about that, and you need to pray about that. God cares about your relationships with people might, he cares about those things, right? He cares about your basic needs. He does. But what he wants you to pray about is how do you live out the golden rule? How do you do unto others as you would have them do unto you? How do you love as Christ has loved? John Piper says, unfortunately, that's not how we tend to pray. I mean, think about the content of your prayers. I love this from one of his sermons on prayer. He says, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is because they try to take a wartime walkie-talkie. And friends, that's where we are. We are children of light living in a world captivated by Satan, the ruler of darkness. We are children of light living in the darkness. The world is at war against God and his children and we don't look at prayer that way. 
This is the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is because they try to take a wartime walkie-talkie and turn it into a domestic intercom by which they ring up the maid to bring another pillow. God is a genie in the bottle to give you what you want. It malfunctions. It's made for tanks. It's made for trenches. It's made for war. It won't work when you install, of course, he's talking to a different group of people, when you install your yacht, right? It's not where we are, okay? But you get the point. A yacht is an extravagance. It won't work at the lake cabin. It won't work in the second and third and fourth car. John Piper's trying to get us to rethink our prayer life and what are we praying about. He's saying, look, the flesh is battling against the spirit. Satan wants to destroy you. Your flesh wants to destroy you. The world is lined up against Christ and his church, which means the world is lined up against you. You're trying to reach people with the gospel of Christ. Satan is definitely against that. So he's against you and that as well. So it's a war you're in. And Jesus says, look, you need to ask your father in heaven. Because if you don't live out your faith and demonstrate that you truly are a child of God, then you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So pray and ask God for help. He's a father who's listening. And he's so invested in your success in this battle that he comes to live within you. But we do ask with wrong motives, right? James 4, 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because what? You ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In contrast to that, Jesus says, look, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. My kingdom and my righteousness. One passage that gets thrown out there a lot, you know, is if you just ask in Jesus' name, he'll give you, you know, just ask in his name. John chapter 15, and really in John 16, Jesus says about the same thing three times. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Okay, he's talking to the disciples by extension. He's talking to us so that whatever you ask in the name of the Father, I'll give you, right? Just ask it in the name of the Father. Just ask in my name, chapter 16, I'll give it to you. So is that like a, a blank check? The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel treats this as a blank check. They treat chapter 16 as a blank check. you got to ask it in the name of Jesus. Like it's some incantation that gets the genie out of the bottle. And here in the context, in John chapter 15, it says, and whatever you ask my name, the Father will give you. And then he says, this is my command, love each other. So what is the prayer about? God, I need to know how to love difficult people. I need to know how to love in a sin-cursed world. And Jesus says, if you ask the Father how to do that, he is going to help you to do that. Because the kingdom of God is more than eating and drinking, right? And that's how we treat God. Our genie in the bottle to make our temporal life in this temporal world 
convenient, more comfortable, more enjoyable. God's primary concern for your prayer life is that you be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is his primary concern. God never promises you that you're going to have 90 years of life. He never promises you that you're going to have children. He never promises you that you're going to have well-adjusted children. He never promises you're going to have a, a good career. He never promises you that you're going to have a house or a car. He doesn't promise any of those things. He does promise that he'll give you what you need to be salt and light in a sin-cursed world. That you would live out the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. God wants to meet that request. Ian Bounds says this, and he's the guy who writes great books on prayer. He says, prayer fills man's emptiness with God's fullness. Prayer puts away man's poverty with God's riches. Prayer puts away man's weaknesses with coming, the coming strength of God. It banishes man's littleness with God's greatness. See, when we knock on, when we ask God, when we seek God, when we knock on his door, we're saying we can't do it, and we're asking God to work through us. And God promises to meet that need. He promises to answer that prayer. In a big way, I already mentioned this, right? Because in Luke chapter 11, it's the parallel passage to Matthew chapter 7. And we can tell by the way it begins, which of your fathers your son asks for a fish, we'll give, us, give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. A little bit different, but you can, you can see the parallel. I don't like scorpions either. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, so this is written before Pentecost. All right. The greatest gift that Christ could give his followers after his ascension into heaven is God. It's the greatest gift. Right? We can think of all kinds of things we would like that would make our life easier. But Jesus, I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you more than your need. I'm going to give you more than you can imagine we ever need. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Because I know how to give good gifts, the gift you need to live life in a sin-cursed world. So prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. No, God is a good Father. He wants to give. Prayer is laying hold of God's willingness. He's saying, ask, seek. Now, he wouldn't say that if he wasn't willing to give. He wants to give. But why are you asking? Are you asking with wrong motives? Are you asking because you want to be salt and light? You want to do others as you would have, do to others as you would have them do unto you. If you want to love as Christ's love, if you're asking for that, you're laying hold of God's willingness every time you come before Him. So as we ask, seek, and knock, we are simply calling into service the power of God living within us. Namely, the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do, and that is to empower us to live as Christ lived. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, the door will be open. These are promises from God.
commands with a promise. Your heavenly Father is ready and willing to answer in love. So ask, seek, and knock. We're going to sing again, all I have is Christ. Lord, I would be yours alone so that all might see. Right? To follow your commands doesn't come from me, right? Only from God. Ask, seek, and knock. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth that we've learned this morning about prayer, that you want us to come to you and ask. Help us to be faithful in prayer. Lord, help us to live out what you've called us to live out. Help us to attain to the high calling that you've called us to. Help us to conform to the image of Christ, the highest calling. We thank you that through prayer, you empower us to do that very thing. So Lord, please transform us through prayer as we ask, seek, and knock. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's